Welcome to a common denominator, a place where the learning never stops, a place where you can continue to gain vital knowledge even outside of a classroom. In fact, it's what it means to be an autodidactic human. So I live a very slow life, truly. And I enjoy my slow life because it gives me enough space to really see what, where it is that I'm going, what it is that I'm doing, and what I've been trying to accomplish this whole time. Yes, I've lived a very pedestrian life. And I've loved this pedestrian life, you see. And when I say that I've lived a pedestrian life, I really do mean that I've spent close to about 15 years not owning a vehicle during the prime time of, you know, the ages of when I could own a vehicle, in fact. But it wasn't like I was devoid of driving. In fact, I spent a lot of time driving all of my other friends' vehicles, sometimes over great amounts of distances. And I learned to love driving through that time spent behind the wheel. However, my time spent walking has been something I've really cherished, because it's taught me so many things about living and how to slow down. And trust me, slowing down is actually something that is really beneficial for all of us, because our pace of the which we, at, at which we live is currently a part of the problem, part of the aching that we kind of deal with on the regular. Honestly, even between written bills... I would say that that is, those two things alone are enough to give us anxiety and run up our lives in a, such a way that we tend to forget just what some of the little things are. You know, we, we have so many deadlines, so much racing, so much moving forward that we don't even stop to look around, not, not even necessarily look back. It's just stopping to look around and just to see where you are. That's one of my favorite things about walking. Walking is one of the most natural things a human could ever do. Because it only requires, in fact, just one thing from us. That's just to put one foot in front of the other and to continue moving. And the beauty of what that does through time is absolutely incredible. It's wonderful what it does for the human mind. And of course, I, um, I've been really digging into a book that I feel like it was personally made to me uh, called The Philosophy of Walking by Frederick Grios. And he goes into expansion about the different philosophers and who, who, who wrote their primary works through walking as well as, you know, different types of walks that we tend to take ourselves on and the effects that we really have. And when it, when it comes down to breaking things down from this perspective... I am one of the people that enjoys very long commutes. I enjoy my long walks through the city. And sometimes, every so often, I like my hikes through nature. And it's funny that I have that one kind of on a little bit of a lower list than the others, but we'll get to that later. Primarily, where I like to start is with my hikes through the city. Because this, to me, is one of the more revealing stances in our day-to-day -day life that we can take. Starting from when you have to walk, let's say, um, I grew up walking to school all the time, you know, 
And when you have to walk to school, you have to take into account how much time it takes to get to school. And see, I was usually trying to do the long commute, the long walk commute to the bus, the, the long bus commute to the school, you know, kind of a thing. So usually be about two or three miles to get to the bus stop, which was usually about an hour and a half to get to school afterwards. It's a pretty long commute every day. But during that time period, of course, since my school was like, starts at like 7.30 in the morning, my days usually start at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, I'm usually out of the door by 4.30, at my bus stop by 5.55, and at school usually just around 7.19. So, but on this walk, however, I was, I started to take these walks originally with my dad. Uh, whenever we finally settled down into the state of Alabama, uh, my regular commutes became, you know, kind of a, the first couple were kind of an adventure with my father, but then after the first, like, week or two, I was basically, once again, responsible for getting myself home and back. And so on my long commutes, I started to adopt these different uh, situations. At first, I, in my younger days, my walks were became a little less daunting when I added music to my walks. Not that the silence wasn't okay or anything like that. Uh, it's just I was living in Pritchard. My earliest times commuting was living in Pritchard, Alabama. And, you know, the sounds of what you have to deal with in Pritchard, Alabama weren't necessarily the most soothing of sounds, I would say. Plus, the mind tends to race in silence. Or when there is nothing truly occupying, like, the space, I would say. And it is, the silence is best left to, like, two other moments uh, in a long walk. Which to me are, like, really, really late in the evening. Sometimes, like, super early morning, I would say. Like, between the hours of, like, 3 a.m. and 5. Usually it's so quiet that it's almost like it doesn't need anything. And, of course, when you're out in nature. Like... Nature walks take on an entirely different thing, but like I said, I'll get to that later. So, my first instinct was to try to add music to my commutes, and the the beautiful thing about that is that it changed the amount of time I spent walking. It meant that I first started off like feeling like my three and a half mile commute all the way across the east side of Pritchard was actually very like tedious in the beginning but then when I started uh adding I got a CD player and all of a sudden my walks became something I could feel out more emotionally you know by the time I got to a certain song in an album I would be at a certain destination on the planet it became a very staple way of being able to tell time without having to look at a clock and I started making all when I started being able to burn CDs I started burning CDs that were roughly around the length of my commute, which was about an hour 40, which is usually just a tad bit as that's about the maximum amount of time, uh, maximum amount of tracks, I would say, that you can put on a CD, on a burn CD. Let's say average is uh, about your average song is probably about four and a half, five minutes long. Uh, I would say four and a half minutes long. Uh, so you get a total of probably about 120 uh, like a hour and 20 minutes worth of listening time, I would say, um, on a burn CD if you decided to max it out. So 20 tracks, you know, usually 21, 22, depending on if you had a few short ones in there. And so sometimes all I'd have to do is just look at 
the track number. Oh, I'm on track seven. That means I'm probably I'm usually about like past my first mile and a half, you know, kind of a thing, or usually within two miles by that point. And so when I was finally able to kind of calm down over the length of the, of the distance of the walk that I kind of had to have every day, my brain started to do another thing that I didn't recognize until so much time it began to pass. That I was starting to take in the scenery so much more. You know, I was now all of a sudden paying attention to the subtle differences in each neighborhood as I passed them by. You know, the actual length of uh, concrete and sidewalk in between each space. The house, the details of the houses, some of the people that used to live in them sometimes. Uh, there was a man that I remember that uh, used to kind of catch me sometimes on my commute and sometimes would offer me a ride. And if I was ever feeling bold enough to actually ask this guy, I would like diverge a little more than like a third of, third of a mile uh, just to go and find this guy. And of course, if he wasn't there, then it meant that I had a little bit of a longer walk back. And that gets me to another say another interesting point. All of your decisions that you make while you're walking all become a way more, I want to say, monumental. Because now what is like, oh, I forgot something, I need to turn around and walk there, is now a very regrettable decision in a lot of cases. If you left it and you were two miles into the walk, you oftentimes are not going to be able to turn back. Because either by a time constraint, especially if you're on the way to something, your time constraint is not going to necessarily allow for a turnaround. And then, of course, if you're on the way back from something, usually the tiredness of having to put in an extra effort of walking two more miles into your already, you know, four and a half mile stretch of walking doesn't necessarily seem like the biggest appeal. You might as well just find it tomorrow. So all of a sudden your decisions have to be counted for what would be just one simple affair of just getting from point A to point B. You now have to take into account the amount of time that it's going to take for you to get there, like heavily. Uh, you have to take into account all of the items that you need to bring with you to be self-sustainable along the way. So you don't have to make those turnarounds or stop too terribly often. Because sometimes when all of a sudden you have a need and it is flat out not in front of you, that deviation from your walk on the way home may cost you like hours, you know, and it may cost you energy may cost you pain, even. In my cases, it was kind of more like a combination of all three uh, because I was usually commuting with a 85-pound backpack to and forth because I didn't really have time to go to my locker. So I was carrying all of my books back, usually there and back, and that turned it more into a training session than it really was just a casual walk across the city. However, as I got older... And this walking phenomenon became much more frequent. I would begin to take the sceneries that I was in so much more... Um, I, I used to take them in much more detail. You know, seeing new alternate routes I could take. Uh, places that were... I was oftentimes the kind of person that would travel from one end of the city to another in the straightest line I could possibly could. And that meant cutting through, you know, woods, yards sometimes, depending. You know little nooks and crannies in the city that all of a sudden you can now see because you're moving slow enough to see them. That's the coolest thing about what they talk about, like uh, in that book, 
Because Frederick Griot begins to talk about how the scenery, the backdrop, usually, like the mountains that you see in the background, the trees that are usually overlining, the horizon that you see in the Midwest, all of it becomes something of a permanent fixture. All of a sudden, you get a chance to like see it in its whole glory as it stays forever fixed, fixated as the background of your commute. Get a chance to kind of take it all in. To see its wondrousness and its beauty. It's a nice little way of appreciating, in fact, where you live. And you know, like that's that's probably my favorite little benefit, actually, from from walking. Is that all the cities that I've lived in, I've grown to love them so much more because I walk through them. Because I take the time to like look at every nook and cranny, every one of its little personality quirks, little hiding places. Strange places where people like to gather and do things. Pockets of activities that you would never imagine actually being inside of the city. (coughs) And yet, it exists. It exists perfectly and plainly just as much as everything else there. You just had to know where to look. And that's the beauty of walking slowly. Is that you get a chance to look. And actually get a chance, a longer chance to observe. And, you know, uh, another benefit, I guess you can say, is that if you have a problem with uh, navigating, in fact, if you're very directionally challenged as a person, uh, being able to, walking through your neighborhoods is a very good way to help ease that information into your brain. Because walking kind of uploads a little bit of map data into your brain uh, because you're now taking it in from your normal route from a different perspective. Like, whenever you decide to, like, walk uh, the same route that you normally drive, all of a sudden you start to notice all those little tiny things that you just can't see when you drive. Maybe an extra shortcut. Maybe a better path. Maybe for the fact that wherever you're walking to, or wherever you're used to driving to, is actually not that far of a place to walk to. It only takes maybe about 10-15 minutes out of your day in order to make that one trek and back. But either way, if you take all of your tiniest commutes to like the store to pick up something to get food if you take all of those and you slow them down all of a sudden you you realize you you discovered a really nice little superpower we all have which is that we get a chance to manipulate time this is our key to creating more time for ourselves walking is a very great tool to help us expand our sense of time You see, because that's where it kind of tricks me sometimes where like you have a car and you get around to places instantly. And yet we all are plagued with saying that we just simply don't have the time to do anything at all. And yet as a pedestrian, you're forced to slow your life down. Absolutely forced to. Like, it's like if I have an appointment that I want to get to, if I have something that I need to get to that's in Denver which is a solid, like, 25 miles, almost 30 from here. I don't have the availability or the option to just simply get there in a half an hour or to rush myself at any point in time in between that because it is going to be close to a two-hour commute and I'm going to have a lot of space in between when I get there or traveling when I get there and traveling when I get back. So now what is, like, Normally, maybe a two- or three-hour outing has now become a very large chunk of my day. 
I don't necessarily get a chance to plan or put anything else in the middle of that day. Because I always give myself enough time to walk. You see? I'm not going to rush myself when I am having to cover, you know, so many miles of ground. Like, physically cover that many miles of ground. It doesn't necessarily bode well to try to rush through those moments. Because you are very much so subjected to what happens in public transportation even after that point. You may miss your train. You may miss a bus. That bus may be overpacked. You may not get a chance to get on it. You may read the schedule wrong. The schedule may be rushed. You, There are hundreds of factors that can change your commute on just in, in a fly. And if you crunch yourself when you're trying to commute, you don't give yourself a lot of room to recover after that. It's like if you're leaving, you know, you're trying to make sure that you get there on the dot. But you and you only left like an hour before you're supposed to get there. And you didn't necessarily know exactly how long that bus ride was supposed to take. And traffic ends up being bad. There's nothing you can do about that. You're going to be late. And it's something you're going to accept. There's no choice. There really isn't. <laughs> it's actually a very beautiful thing. To be able to just know that whatever you're stuck with, you're stuck with. And, you know, you've in a commuting situation, when you get to those points, it's always at the point where you know you've done everything you can up until this point. You've done everything you can. And if some inspiration comes that allows you to ease this whole point of con, uh, this, this whole thing along, then yeah, take that point. But be cautious. Haste is not a... Haste and speed are two different things. Very much so. And this is also something you learn while walking. Because a lot of people move with haste, thinking that they're moving with speed. And it is haste, being hasty is honestly just rushing yourself at every point, except for using speed, like, purposefully or naturally. Haste is just saying that if I move quickly, if I move, if I just do everything at a rushing pace, then everything is going to be done faster. And that's not even entirely true when you look at that. When you when you rush with haste, the only thing you manage to accomplish is stressing yourself out. Or also probably burning a little extra energy if you got a high energy kind of life. But honestly, haste only creates stress in most cases. Speed, however, is something you can utilize with time and distance. And understanding, in fact, the relation, the correlation between them both. And you can do this, in fact, as a pedestrian. Because I can tell you one thing. I've never been late. I'm very, very rarely late to anything. And I mean, very rarely late. And most of the time, if I'm ever late, it's because I'm driving. It's because the commute is actually more so in my control than it ever was in, I guess, the universe's control. Which I find a little ironic sometimes. See, like with a car, you kind of create this element of convenience that you have more time than you feel like you need, or you have more time than you perceive because it's only going to take you like five, ten minutes to drive over there. But the same factors actually still apply. You're still going to run into traffic. Something weird may happen. You may get into a car accident. Like the car may not start. You have no idea exactly what could happen on that time period there. So the same approach actually kind of, actually very much so helps in the scenario 
to give yourself the time to get there. To give yourself the space to get there. Prepare, in fact, before you drive. Just so you don't have to use haste. Because the beautiful thing is, is that if you're not hasting around, being hasty, <laughs> you get to actually be faster. You get to move with speed. And, and ironically, in a whole episode of talking about how to move slower. But it also means that you can ensure that you get to places on time without ever having to, like, rush, not even once. And I find that to be, like, one of, their ma- one of the massive superpowers of living a pedestrian life, is that you know that you don't necessarily have to rush. You know that you may, like, you, you can only push it by a matter of a half an hour, probably at best. But anything less than that, you're talking about the very amount of time it would take you to physically get from one space to another. So it's always best to give yourself as much room as possible. It's like kind of like self-care in that case. Like, if you're going to be walking around, the last thing you want to do is just constantly feel stressed out by the fact that you're walking. So de-stressify your walk. Give yourself more time. In fact, do that with all of your commutes. You know? That's one of the perks of being a pedestrian. You learn that time is a very malleable, precious thing that you have to kind of take with care in order for it to work properly for you. You have to know that it is stretched out over, a lot of the times time is stretched out over distance. The amount of distance you have to cover determines the amount of time it takes to get there. It's, I know it sounds a little weird to try to throw in some physics in the middle of a lesson about philosophy, but it, it really does work. If you know how much time it takes you to get somewhere and how much, or how much distance it usually, how much time it takes you to cover about a, a certain amount of distance when you walk, you usually tend to buffer that with a with, the, with as much time as you need. So this, in this case, is how you do that. And if you find yourself constantly, like, blocked for time, then oftentimes it is like a, a, a question of time management, I would say. Whereas looking at your subtle habits as to what, what you do every morning... Where you decide to go, like, are you getting, are you eating out, are you eating at home, are you preparing your meals ahead of time, or are you preparing your meals on time, I should say, or at time, you know, band time, as we used to say, as we say in the business. Um, you're on time if you're early, you're late if you're on time. Uh, that was the mentality that it was always, like, raised by, because my, once again, my father was a Marine. Uh, so, and I also, he also was a musician and I grew up being a musician. So in a musician's world, you grow up with that mentality, which is hilarious because once you leave the professional side of it, it becomes the complete opposite. If it says start, if you are familiar with the band scene, like with, uh, you know, like, uh, on stage and stuff like that, uh, if the start time says eight thirty, more than likely we're starting at nine thirty, because it takes, because one of the bands is exceedingly late. Um, usually the starting band is always the one that's setting up late so that happens a lot um but that essence of time management and professional cur- and professional nature professionalism as it called uh which i still have my gripes with the nature of professionalism in and of itself but if we we're going to talk about professionalism in any capacity one of the biggest points of professionalism is showing up to your place on time and if showing up on time is something you have a lot of trouble with, then the only way to solve it truly is to give yourself more time to get there. That's it. Like, give yourself more space. 
Like, I am the kind of person that this, this whole thing is designed, this, the whole essence of this conversation is to, is to encourage you to examine how much time you give yourself to do things and to, like, de-stressify that time as you go along. If it is, well, I've got to hit this point and this point and this point and this point before I can even remotely get to my job on time, then see if you can consolidate all of those other points. See if you can, uh, see if you can actually give yourself like, uh, like a, like a, like an extra oomph, like the day before. Like if you're going out to get coffee every time, if that's the reason why you're late, then consider making yourself your own coffee, making yourself a supply of coffee. In fact, because the beautiful thing is, is that when you make more time for yourself, all of a sudden you kind of sit there and realize, wow, <laughs> you know, I know. I now know that I have only, like, I'm sitting here with 30 extra minutes that I'm not even used to. And, of course, now it's, like, feeling like you're sitting around, like, kind of bored because all of a sudden you have all this extra time on your hands. On the time that originally was inconceivable. Time that felt like it didn't exist, that you never had space for. All of a sudden that time becomes a really interesting place to start to put things in if you're used to it. We used to start making those spaces like no it sounds weird but that was a really good time to practice my instrument was learning exactly what the span of 30 minutes was in a lunch period that was at least 10 minutes worth of practice time for me but it once again it just depends on how you view in fact or utilize that time in the in a said space um or really using yeah using said time in a, in a certain like in a certain space I would say I want to use I want to change that phrase because sometimes where you are determines what you do for a span of time and you don't always get a chance to like walk around but trust me if you ever wanted to kill like 15 20 minutes super easy uh just take a very slow walk around a building trust me you'll get you'll lose your brain loses a sense of time all altogether um and this is this is the part where I really want to talk about that actually is um when you have time or stretching out time is actually a matter of physical engagement. How, or emotional engagement, I should say. It's actually a combination of both. How engaged are you in the moment of what you're doing? If you're truly in the present of where you are, like fully taking it in, like body, mind, heart, and all, like just somewhere awesome, time just completely disintegrates. And now we're going to talk about why, about our nature walks why this one has a separate category because nature walks is something that hmm i i don't really know if it was true if it's truly been squandered out here oh and i don't like using that word in regards to something like nature but we tend to commoditize like out here out here in colorado like it's pretty much just like if you're not into hiking then you're not really you don't really live in colorado at all <laughs> everybody's into hiking out here and you know and it's not always the whole like going out and climbing a mountain in the middle of nowhere kind of hiking even though plenty of that exists uh oftentimes it's just hitting the trails and i like those trails but sometimes there's just a little too much people on them when i so when i say nature walk i really mean just like going out in a very solid space between just you, maybe a, 
up to like three other people at best and silence of nature just walking not even in a rush no destination no hurry just walking in nature some very beautiful things start to happen to your brain especially when you're not fixated on a destination if you're trying to like get to a waterfall or hike a top of a mountain or whatever you know eventually your brain starts to give away to these thoughts of like oh how much further do i have to left to go you know how long have i actually been walking like every now and again those those thoughts will peek in but the less you put a destination the more you put a destination out of your mind and the more you take out like just how far you've traveled out of your mind you just stop, you start to all of a sudden melt away all of those external things about living. Like, your social standing, or jobs-related stuff, commutes, like, your schedules, all that stuff is the stuff that melts away first when you spend just enough time in silence in nature. It's all of a sudden, you, it's like you can't reach it anymore. You can't touch it, because there's nothing else out there but you and the earth and the longer you spend in that time the more it becomes an over-encompassing thing it's like you can't reach the outside world anymore it's it's just all you have are the trees all you have is the space the planet and you and all of your clearest thoughts in fact almost like you can hear them speaking like a solid other person standing next to you it's that silent, that clear. And in that moment, and in those moments of clarity, you tend to like focus on yourself. Sometimes you can hear your own breathing and hear your own thoughts. You still, all of a sudden, you start to take in, in fact, all those subtle moments of around you, the backdrops of the trees or, you know, the crunching of leaves underneath. It leaves you very susceptible to finding beauty and happiness. And see, the beautiful thing about those two things is that they're not something that you have to, like, obtain in a way. Uh, like, a lot of places, like, or a lot of religions and stuff like that kind of tend to talk about happiness as, or just in general, they kind of talk of happiness as, like, a state of being to achieve. And happiness is not that. Walking in nature kind of teaches you what a lot of what happiness is. Happiness is a susceptibility to beauty. That's where they correlate. And beauty, first of all, is a combination of things. It is a recipe that is made by the untimely, na the untimely manner of something appearing, occurring, and its rarity, and the simplicity of that moment of us catching it, of actually, if we hadn't have known or hadn't have been there to see it, it would have passed us by. So we sit there and appreciate its rarity, its beauty, because we know that it won't last. We know that it's something super brief. That's where we find our beauty. And to be happy and to find happiness is to be constantly susceptible to those moments of beauty. In a way of not necessarily achieving anything, but always remaining open to all the subtle, tiny little things in life that can really bring you this joy and this beauty around you. 
when you see how simple life is to feel the sun on your face or the shade to feel the temperature of the air change and fluctuate the sounds of wildlife and creatures that may not necessarily hear inside of the city those moments of stillness in the air like you get a really good chance to take all of that stuff in <sighs> yeah it's more than just something to reward yourself with but happiness becomes a point where you just know that as long as you stay open to the simple things, all these beautiful moments, you'll always find beauty in something, in something simple, in a blade of grass growing out of a stream, you know, or the blooming of a flower. Trust me, when, when you are left open to those beauties, to seeing that beauty, you find yourself just naturally happy. Like, is almost all the time. You know, it's not to say that it constantly stays there. You know? It just, you just know that you're always going to be able to find it, even if it's not there. That you know where to look. That's the beauty of it. And I oftentimes would like to suggest that we take those walks, Then, when you take those walks, that's what you do. Don't give yourself a destination. If you're hiking a peak, that's cool if you're hiking a peak. It takes its own uh, its own kind of draw because sometimes you get hiking a peak can be so tedious and sometimes so dangerous that you get this moment of no return that happens when you look down at the progress that you've made, know that it's taken you hours to get there, and yet you may still have an hour or two to go, but turning around right now is going to cost you more than just continuing. Yeah, it takes on a very different nature of that. But even still, like, the destination, when you get to a peak, in fact, the destination of getting to that peak does not uh, do much to satiate what happens when you're looking down. When you look down at the mountain you just hiked and having to realize that you now have to go back down. All of that. The thing that took you hours to get up. You almost like you get little time to celebrate before you're just throwing yourself back into the mix. But as is the nature of with destination, eventually you do have to come back from said destination. And throwing yourself in the mix again may not necessarily be exactly the part of the journey that we were thinking about on the way up. And you may not have been thinking about anything at all, actually, depending on the nature of the walk. <laughs> but, once again, it's not like to say that you have failed at achieving clarity or beauty or happiness if you have any other encroaching thoughts that come in during these walks. But I do suggest to always lean into the silence. Lean into the silence of the walk. Lean away from the questions of destination, purpose, and just lean into the essence of being. It does such wonderful things for the brain. Please, just... just just indulge yourself. Like, I, I, I like to end this with, uh, with a challenge, I would say. And that challenge is take the smaller things you do in life, the commutes, the, the subtle commutes, the walking to the grocery store, the driving to a grocery store to pick up something simple. Replace that with walking instead. Replace that with a commute. See what happens to your day. If it is a question of convenience, 
if you just don't simply have enough time to gather all the convenience in your day, then I would suggest what happens to see what happens if you're possibly capable of stocking up on that on that stuff. And once again, I want to give this disclaimer, um, which I'm basically doing with all of my subject matters these days, is that it will all of this becomes a significantly greater challenge once you have children. I understand this very vastly. Children are not necessarily... Children are pretty much the opposite of having a schedule uh, because they have no sense of time. <laughs> Especially younger children have absolutely no sense of... no concept of that whatsoever. Uh, so it becomes a bit of a struggle to try to create this space in this time of your day when you have someone, a little one, that needs you a lot uh, for things. So it does become a bit of a struggle. It does become a bit of a balancing game. And it is a bit hopeful, a bit helpful to have someone else there to help take that a bit of that hastiness out uh, from a balancing game with with uh, with a child. Um, however, if you're incapable of doing that, um, I've learned that accompanying having your child accompany you in these long spaces and long walks through nature can actually be a very beneficial beneficial thing for the child as well. So also encourage your child to come on your walks with you. As I started my walks very, very young, um, you know, kindergarten age and on up, and I've been very thankful that I have lived a very pedestrian life, that I've gotten a chance to see things in a slower manner, get to live in a way that makes you kind of more than a local, <laughs> even when you're not necessarily a native to a place. It gives you a chance to slow down, see the beauty of where you live. That's probably my favorite part, to be honest. Take a chance. Look at where you live. Look at the people that are in it. The things that happen there. Slow your life down just a minute. And you'll get a really good chance to see exactly who you are, what you like to do, where you're going. It helps. It helps a lot. All right, well, that's all for you autodidactic people for now. If you like what you heard, please leave a like or a comment. If you want to discuss further, go ahead and do so. I would definitely love to hear from a lot of you on some of these subjects, as as well as if you have an interest on being on the show, please let me know. I will absolutely love to have you here. I am a huge fan of everybody's perspectives and uh, just sharing knowledge in general. This is a very fun task for me. And if you want to leave a donation, I totally would love that. Um, help help the show going. I would love to start trying to bring in other people, other experts on things. I'm also working on a housing project right now, trying to build an all-age venues for artists, for young artists and the like, um, especially in small town places where people don't get to, uh, where the only place people can get to practice their art is just in a bar. And I just don't think that's cool. So... If you want to leave a donation try to help us get started on that uh, i would totally appreciate it but otherwise i just need you to do me a solid favor and just never stop learning you don't need a classroom to do that you know <laughs>